Welcome, welcome, welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. My name is Conrad Weaver. I am the host of this show, and I'm also the director of a PTSD 911 documentary that we're producing, telling the story about first responders dealing with and struggling with the, the traumas that they've faced. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But uh, I want to want to first give a full disclosure that I am not a first responder, but I support first responders and I love telling stories that matter. And that's why I decided to jump into this story of first responders dealing with the traumas that they face. And we're working on a film. And as a part of working on this film, I decided to start this podcast series and bring on special guests. And I'm going to introduce my special guests in just a little bit. But I want to ask you to do a couple things. One, I want to ask you to uh, just to subscribe, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you are on uh, a social media, please uh, subscribe to our social pages. It is all at PTSD 911 movie. You can find all of our on our social sites on Instagram and Twitter and and Facebook and all those great things uh, where we uh, give regular updates on what we're doing with uh, not only the show, but also for the movie project. And uh, then, you know, share it with your tribe. And uh, that would be great to do. You know, one thing we want to do with this show and with this documentary is our goal is three things. One, we want to raise awareness. We want to raise awareness to what's going on with our first responders and, and, and the things that they're facing. The second thing we want to do is help to break the stigma of asking for help. We know that that's a problem in many first responder communities that it's not okay to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm, I need some help. And we want to help break that stigma down so that we make it more normalized to say, hey, you know what, I can ask for help and, and not get ridiculed for it and not get put aside because of asking for help. The third thing we want to do with this film project is to inspire change, to inspire change in agencies to do better for the first responders that they face, that, that with, with the things that they face. And I think part of that in, inspiration in those changes is helping the general population, the, the general public really take on this case of we need better resources for our first responders and sometimes that requires change in the way cities handle finances and all that and so we want to help uh, look into that you know one thing that we're doing this week and if you have seen some of my emails come through this week we are in the process of raising funds for a, an officer that is involved with our film and she has had some challenges she's had some medical issues he's been out on medical leave for for actually quite a while and has gotten behind on some of those things. And so this week we're raising funds for her and our goal is to raise $5,000. We already, as of about four o'clock tonight, we have $1,790. That's only in the first like 30 hours that we have launched this thing. So over 1,700, almost $1,800 that we've raised are out of 5,000. And if you want to, if you want to make a contribution, large or small, there's a link in the chat. Click on that link and it'll take you right to a page where you can make a contribution and a donation to that cause so that we can help her catch up with her bills and go on. Uh, she actually has surgery in a couple of weeks and that's adding more stress uh, to her life. And But great story real quick before I bring on my guests. This week, I also learned that she has been living without heat. So her HVAC went out a couple of months ago and she has been living in the cold without heat. And this week I reached out to a local, a local HVAC company here in Maryland. And I sent one email to a CEO and he said, yes. He said, yes, we will do everything we can. We will give her a brand new HVAC system for her house. They came to the house the other day, they looked at the system and they're now making plans to install a brand new HVA system, HVAC system in her house at absolutely no charge. And that is phenomenal. That is to being generous. And we are so excited that she will be living now with better conditions in her house and for her pets that she has. And uh, we'll be able to, I'll be documenting that, of course, because I'm a documentary filmmaker, so why not, right? So I'll be filming that and uh, we'll bring you that footage as soon as it's available. So that is amazing. So I want to give a shout out to, to Holtzapel Heating and Air Conditioning here locally in Maryland. They are amazing. And so thank you for their contribution to this. Tonight, we have an amazing, an amazing show lined up for us. But first, I want to say this, suicide and first responder community is a huge problem. And we're going to talk about that. The latest data from the Firefighter Behavior Health Alliance that reports on suicides for firefighters and EMS 
the latest report with 65%, they guess, average reporting is 71 firefighters and EMS workers this year have died by suicide. And that it's a huge number. And with law enforcement, it's even it's even worse. 133, according to Blue Help, according to Karen Solomon from Blue Help, 133 law enforcement officers have lost their lives this year to suicide. And the numbers for line of duty deaths is, is, is exponentially higher. And we're going to talk about that in just a little, bit, a little bit with our guest. But tonight, we have the privilege of having Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman on the show. And I'm gonna bring him on the screen. And Dave has amazing resumes that include five patents. Man, five patents, that, that's crazy. He has published four novels, two children's books, six nonfiction books, and including his perennial bestseller, On Killing, which with over half a million copies sold. And he's written a New York Times bestselling book with co-author with, with Glenn Beck. He is a U.S. Army Ranger, paratrooper, and a former West Point psychology professor. He has a black belt in, I hope I'm saying this right, hojutsu, the martial art of the firearm, and has been inducted into the U.S. A Martial Arts Hall of Fame. His research was cited by presidents. He's testified before Congress. He's in numerous state legislatures. He has served as expert witness and consultant in federal courts, and the list goes on and on and on. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. Thank you, Conrad. And right up front, I want to say thank you for all you're doing for our first responder community. Uh, your, your objectives you outlined out there are just so important. And I think I'll have some stuff to help with that. But I wanted to tell you, we didn't discuss this before. It just occurred to me. Uh, for My Sheepdog Kids book has really been a lot of fun. And anybody that donates $50 towards uh, that, that, that fundraiser that you're doing, I will contribute one of our Sheepdog Kids books for them. And, wow. and this has got the original Sheepdog essay in the back. It really rocks people. And anybody that donates $100, I will give them a signed copy of On Combat, my book, uh, Marine Corps Commandant's Required Reading, last I heard, issued in the DEA Academy. If you're going to go in harm's way, this is the book. Uh, just what you're doing for our first responders, what are you doing for that that, uh, you know, that, that, that first responder, her, her power, you know, her, her heat is out. She's living in the cold. You got that fixed. You're raising money for her medical expenses. Conrad, you're awesome. And, well, thank and you. on behalf of this whole first responder community, uh, we love you. And we thank you for being there for them. And my little contribution, uh, $50 towards the fund, we'll get your free copy of the Sheepdog Kids book, $100, we'll get your free copy of On Combat. You ought to get something, uh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that generosity. So you guys heard it. So go ahead and uh, click on that link up there in the chat and go make some contributions and and get a copy of Dave's books. So, so Dave, tell me what's going on with first responders these days. All right. Well, the first thing that I want people to understand is just how horrendously bad the situation has become. I, I retired from the Army 24 years ago. I've been on the road over 200 days a year for, for with the exception of the pandemic, uh, every year. Uh, I, I, I believe I'm the only law enforcement trainer to ever be post-certified in all 50 states. Uh, and uh, and there's something terribly important. My, my first book, you kind of mentioned, Conrad, is uh, on killing. Uh, it's a half million copies sold worldwide, translated to seven languages, so on and so forth. But we talk about the dynamics of, uh, of murder and medical technology is holding down the murder rate. So over any period of time, the number of dead people, the number of murdered cops, the number of murdered citizens underrepresents the situation. Boom, we get it. Hmm. You know, if, if, if I told you, wow, look, you're making $15 an hour. Your grandpa only made 25 cents an hour. Look how good you have it. Well, the lie is obvious, right? It's called inflation. Hmm. But we compare the murder rate with the 1990s and 1960s, and that's a lie. And we've got good data. UMass Harvard study came out in the early 2000s. Between the 1960s and the 1990s, medical technology cut the murder rate to a third or a quarter would otherwise be. So to take the murders in the 90s compared to the 60s, you got to multiply the ones in the 90s by a factor of three or four. And the leaps and bounds of life-saving technology since them are astounding. And we just had another mass murder by a juvenile in a school. Uh, but the reports coming out of the school is 
is the teachers were slapping on tourniquets. And the body count could have easily been double what it is without tourniquets. Now, a decade ago, nobody carried tourniquets. Tourniquets alone have probably cut the murder rate in half in just the last decade. So the number of murdered people underrepresents the situation. It's like every economist on the planet talking about minimum wage and never mentioning inflation. Boom. Uh, so the situation is much, much worse than it looks. Now, with that said, in 2020, we had a 30% annual increase in homicides. The highest we have right. ever seen was 12% one year in the 1960s. 30% is that, that's astounding. But that, that's three times worse than the worst we've ever seen. Right, wrong. Because to compare between now and the 60s, you have to multiply by a factor of six or 10. 2020 increase in homicides was at least 20 times worse than anything we've ever seen. And 2021 is even worse. Uh, 2021 is just compound interest stacked on top of 2020. Uh, 2021 is the all-time record number of cops murdered in the line of duty. Uh, and we've got a whole month left to go. This so it's really no wonder so many of our first responders are impacted by that. Absolutely. And understand, they have better body armor. They have better tactics. They have better medical technology. So year by year, the number of dead cops underrepresents the problem. Mm. It, it should be going down because of medical technology. Life's, but instead, we've got an all-time record number of murdered dead cops. Things are bad. The wheels are coming off the bus. Our civilization's coming unglued. I talk about it in my books, uh, Assassination Generation, another book I, I, uh, I outline in detail. I personally handed a copy to Vice President Pence. I submitted the White House to, uh, to present this to him. And, and I told him about the murder rate being held down by medical technology. I told him, just like we have inflation-adjusted dollars, we need medically-adjusted murders. And when we do that, it will absolutely transform how we see the world. Now, Pence asked a very intelligent question, but gracious, impressive guy in person. He said, what about the aggravated assault rate? I told mm -hmm. him, well, the problem is it's too easy to fudge that data. Where mm -hmm. do we draw that magic line between egg assault and simple assault? Every cop will tell you, we'll make an egg assault, say whatever you want it to say, but dead is dead. Murder mm -hmm. is pretty sound data as long as we allow for medical technology. Now, the reason why it's gotten so bad for so awful long, it's in my books. Uh, we don't need to get into it tonight. Uh, the sick stuff we're feeding our kids and, and then the defund the police movement. Uh, mm. This idea that the problem is the cops. If we got rid of the cops, it would all be better. So here is, God bless her, the black female liberal mayor of Oakland, California, saying the problem is defund the police. She said mm. we need more police. She said, this is a false narrative. It is hurting mm. us. It is killing us. It is doing us harm. But when the black female police chief of Seattle quit, now this lady has worked her way up through the ranks. She's earned her rank. She's earned, she's respected. She's bulletproof. You can't accuse her of racism. You can't accuse her of sexism. She quit and said, quote, you're setting me up for failure. Mm -hmm. I can't do the job like this. I'm out of here. The black so I can't even imagine. Dallas quit. You know, I'm not a first responder, but I have a lot of friends who are. I can't even imagine that the, the additional stress that that puts on someone that's in that position, yeah. knowing that there is this population out there who hates them, knowing yes. that there's this antagonistic, you know, society who doesn't want them around. And yet they have to go out and do their job with professionalism and with courtesy and with kindness and and with dignity. And, and here's the, now here's the, 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 the icing on the cake. Interpersonal human aggression is the most toxic, corrosive thing anybody will ever see. Now, we're going to talk about PTSD. The DSM tells us whenever the cause of your trauma is human in nature, the degree of trauma is usually more between a tornado hitting a city and killing 10 people or a mass murder killing 10 people. It's all the difference in the world. Somebody breaks in your house and beats your family or a tornado hits a house and puts your family in the hospital. It's all the difference in the world. With fire, my fire guys are magnificent, but they go in and they fight fire. 
but interpersonal human aggression, another human being who's trying to steal your life away is so much more toxic, so much more corrosive. We can't even begin to understand how traumatic it is to face what I call the universal human phobia, interpersonal human aggression. Another human being who has attacked you is trying to harm you. But we live in fear of that. It's the most corrosive thing that can happen in our lives, and cops face it every day. Hmm. Uh, it, it is the psychologically sewer of, 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 of society, and they have to deal with it every day. And God bless the EMS. God bless the fire guys that are there. But the, the cops have to go towards that aggression. The, the fire guys mm-hmm. call them the blue canaries, right? You know, the canary in the mine shaft. When the canary dies, you get out of there, right? So mm-hmm. they send the blue canary. Now, it's all in love and it's all in fun. But the truth is the cops are the ones that have to go face that. And mm-hmm. retention is down. Recruiting is down. And that leads us to the next major issue out there. It's huge for all of our first responders, all of our PTSD, which is this global epidemic of sleep deprivation Mm. and how it weaves in with all the other factors out there. Now, just do an online search for global epidemic of sleep deprivation, binge watching TV shows, addictive video games, uh, the the uh, the. The, the media, the, the, the internet never sleeps. We're, we've got to do social media all night long. It's designed to be addictive. Uh, we get endorphin pings every time somebody likes what we send. The, this whole dynamic of, of being, being having incredibly desirable, toxic, addictive things to keep us going all night long. So the, the head of Netflix said that their number one competitor is not other online providers. Our number one competitor is sleep. The corporate policy of Netflix is to steal your sleep. They don't care wow. that you. That's crazy. They, they don't <laughs> care that, that, it, that sleep deprivation is a key factor in heart disease, cardiovascular. Sleep deprivation is a critical factor in suicide. It's a critical factor in traffic deaths, the two major killers of our first responders. The sleep deprivation is a great killer. If I were king, that could pass one law, I would mandate sleep for all first responders. Now, you know, I, I, I've been under attack from all the defund the police and all the Antifa people. I'm, I'm probably America's number one law enforcement trainer just by virtue of doing it so long and so much. And, and, and I said, look, there is a problem out there and, and, and it should enrage us. Airline pilots are required by law to get enough sleep. Truck drivers required by law to get enough sleep, but cops aren't. That should enrage us. Mm-hmm. The person who decides whether or not to shoot your kid should be held to the same standard as a truck driver, an Amtrak engineer, an airline pilot. They don't want to hear it. They're not interested in fixing the problem. They want to burn it to the ground and 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 start from the beginning with them on top. They're not trying to fix the problem. They truly aren't. So, so you you study psychology. What does a lack of sleep do to the brain? Yeah. Understand this now, the primary impact of sleep deprivation is impaired judgment. Yeah, you know, your psychomotor skills go down, but your judgment skills go down. You say things and do things. So after 18 hours without sleep, you have impaired judgment equal to 0.08 legally drunk. 24 hours without sleep, you have impaired judgment equal to 0.10 above legally drunk. Two nights without sleep, and you are psychotic. Any graduate of Army Ranger School will talk about hallucinations on the third day without sleep. And we are in a world where people go days without sleep. Mm -hmm. They're working double shifts. They're they're binge-watching TV all night. They're online all night. They're, they're, They're playing video games all night. They go back to work as zombies. And I can tell you, on that third day of Ranger School with no sleep, we were seeing things and hearing things that were not there, hallucinations. So we're in the middle of this global epidemic of sleep deprivation. Now, it is a critical factor in our suicides. Some of the military research tells us a sleep-deprived soldier is up to five times more likely to take their life. Wow. One of the best meta-studies on suicide, this is studies of studies, says not only is sleep deprivation a major factor in suicide, it is the most remediable factor. It is something we could do something about right now. If somebody is suicidal, give them an Ambien, 
Give them a safe, warm place to sleep. Give them a good night's sleep and a hot meal before you do anything else. Mm. So sleep deprivation is a critical factor in a global epidemic of suicides. Every aspect of our society and every planet, every nation on the planet and every age group has seen an increase in, in, in suicides. And I, I got a case study. I, I tell all my audiences, Parenting 101 for the 21st century, when you send your kid to bed at night, take their cell phone away from them. No laptop in the room, no cell phone in the room. They have got to go to the room and sleep. Teen suicides have exploded. Teenagers, 10, 11, 12-year-old, teenage suicide girls, suicides have tripled per capita in just the last decade. So a cop came up to me during the break in one of my presentations, and he said, I had a good girl. He said she was an A student. She said, Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You can trust me. He said, so I trust her. I let her keep her cell phone. He said, a little while later, she took her life. He said, my little girl took her life. And we never knew the hell she was living in until we looked at the text messages on her cell phone. Night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying. And he can't just ignore that stuff. We're not wired that way. He said it was heartrending to see her up all night long, night after night, trying to defend herself, trying to for somebody to stand up for her. He said, I understood my little girl was bullied to death. What I didn't right. understand until now, she was sleep deprived, tormented, and bullied to death in front of my eyes, and I let it happen. He said, I so, can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. How can we expect our kids to? So who's going to be your mommy? Who's going to make you turn that thing off? Who's going to make you get that sleep? I can't emphasize this enough. It is a major factor in a global increase in traffic deaths. Hmm. Decade after decade, traffic deaths came down. Airbags, seatbelts, medical technology. Now for the last decade, everywhere, traffic deaths are back up. Think like a detective. Think like a scientist. What is the new factor? causing an increase in suicides and traffic deaths, boom, sleep deprivation. Sure, the cell phones, the video games, the text messaging, uh, the, the binge watching the TV shows. And, and remember, this causes impaired judgment. You, you do stupid stuff when you're sleep deprived. And the ultimate stupid thing is trying to drive when your head is bobbing. The ultimate stupid thing is taking your life. You never get a chance to rethink that decision. It's, it, it, this, this sleep deprivation, two major causes of, of death have exploded. The third one, now we got traffic deaths, we got suicides, and we got opiate overdoses. Mm -hmm. Why opiates? Prescription opiates have always been there. What is the new factor? Sleep deprivation creates chronic pain. The mm -hmm. tendons and muscles never get a chance to fully relax. Doc, I heard all the time, give me a pill to fix, you don't need a pill. You need more sleep and knock off those mega doses of caffeine after lunch. They're stopping you from getting deep cycle sleep. Your tendons and muscles never fully relax. Of course you have chronic pain. Sleep deprivation is the new factor worldwide. The video game industry is never going to tell you, turn off that game. The cell phone industry is never going to tell you, you know, turn this thing off. And, you know, they're never going to tell you on social media, you've been on for 24 hours, it's time to go get a life. Netflix is never going to tell you it's time to stop binge watching these shows. They don't care that they're killing you. They don't care that they're responsible for the three major causes of death that have exploded worldwide. They just want your money. And, and so we've got to stand up for our families and stand up for ourselves. And somebody has got to be the pioneer that mandates sleep. So and, what, what's the first responder to do when they're in a situation where they're short staffed and they're held over for another shift? You know, I was with a firefighter in California recently and where yeah. that very thing happened. You know, he was on for 24 hours and we were going to do something the next day. And he called and said, I'm sorry, I'm held over. Yeah. I got to work a second shift. Yeah. And and that's back to back. And then I've yeah. heard of a fire company, a, a town down in, in the Carolinas, where they used to have uh, a, a 24 on 48 hour off policy. And now because of short staffing, they, they flipped that yeah. 48 on 24 off. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, right. and then you have law enforcement that are short staffed and, and they're yep. working double shifts, they're working swing shifts. And you, what, what, what is a first responder to do? Well, one thing I really think everybody needs to wrap your mind around is at the upper levels, God bless them all, all they understand is money. And when bad things happen, they need to be sued. They need to be sued. And here's our FOP can get behind this. You know, we had a cop who had an error in judgment, but the department had him up for 24 hours. The department is responsible for what this individual did. We got a firefighter who who crashes and dies on the way home. And, and the, the fire department kept him going 36 hours. That's criminal negligence. So we've got to hold them accountable. We've got to change our way of life. The individual who holds your child's life in their hands, fire, EMS, especially cops, the individual who decides whether or not to shoot your kid should be held to the highest standard, like truck drivers and airline pilots and Amtrak engineers and many, many, many others. We got to get this fixed. In the meanwhile, what we can do is we can make sure that our sleep is quality sleep. Now, I spend a whole half hour in my class talking about sleep hacks. Don't touch that snooze alarm. That's extra sleep time that you can use. Get straight the hell out of bed when it's time to get out of bed. Don't use that snooze alarm. It's counterproductive for many reasons. Naps are a friend, but 30 minutes is a minimum nap, and they don't replace a full night. The most important thing you can do is to sleep in a totally dark room and combine it with the sleep mask. I'm a huge science geek. I stay current in all kinds of fields. ScienceDaily.com is my favorite website. Check it every day through every category. Major study in the sleep lab, totally dark room, bathroom light is on, the door is shut. The light coming under the crack of the bathroom door is enough light to stop your body from producing the melatonin that you need. Now, melatonin is a neurotransmitter our body creates to help us sleep, and it's created in the dark. If you don't sleep in the dark, you don't get melatonin. And so it, combine it with the sleep mask. My little grandson went off to college. He just now graduated after two years of tech school. Uh, and, and my graduation gift was two of the highest rated sleep masks on Amazon. Uh, and uh, I use one of them. He's heard my class many times. Are you using your sleep mask? Yes, sir. Are you sleeping in the dark? Yes, sir. Are you, are you getting enough sleep? He's going to college and working a job. This should terrify us. Traffic deaths, suicides, drug overdoses, uh, opiate overdoses, sleep is wired in with all of that. we got to get that fixed. So make it quality. Sleep in a truly dark room. No more than one drink on the way to bed. Don't use alcohol to put yourself to sleep. The research is there. A nightcap, one drink on the way to bed, no big deal. One of the best pieces that most technology is working against us, but one that works for us is the fitness tracker tracking your sleep. Hmm. And, and there was a good study showing the ones that did the best job of tracking your hours of sleep. And the Fitbit was doing one of the best jobs. I really like the Fitbit. Download the app, wear it on your wrist. It'll keep track of your heart rate during the day. Your, that's important stuff, your steps, your calories. But it, it will track your sleep. You need at least seven hours of sleep a day as an adult. Your kids here, your college-age kid, your high school kid need nine hours of sleep minimum. Hmm. For their, for their survival. It will tell you, you've gotten by on four hours of sleep for the last month. You can't keep going like this. But one of the things you can do is, uh, is do your own test. Pound down four beers, wear your little fitness tracker, track your sleep, pound down four beers, go to bed and see what it does to you. You will fall quickly into a shallow sleep. You'll wake up shortly and can't get back to sleep. We all need help sometimes. Get help. Uh, medication that the docs can use appropriately. Uh, to start with melatonin, you can't do much harm. As the body gets older and older, it produces less and less melatonin. Little baby dose of melatonin is not a bad idea. But but as we get more, we need things. But please don't use alcohol to put yourself to sleep. Terribly counterproductive. Don't wake up in the night and have a smoke. This is the one time to show some discipline. Uh, you know, the, there's a book a guy put out recently called Two Sleeps and tracking throughout history. There was a real trend where people would get up in the night, they would talk, they would have sex, they'd have a snack, they'd go back to bed. This idea of having this break in the middle of the night is not necessarily a bad thing. Don't get up and have a smoke. Again, no more than one drink. Uh, and, uh, and, and then get back to bed and, and track your sleep. It, it, we, we got to track our sleep like we track our money. Hopefully even better. 
And, uh, and, and most of all, these mega doses of caffeine that we're putting in our body are terribly counterproductive. Caffeine is a useful, powerful, addictive drug. And if you start cutting off caffeine and start having withdrawal symptoms, I mean, I mean, we're talking about I, I, a firefighter told me that EMS, were, he said, I, I went cold turkey on caffeine. I cut off all those energy drinks and I went into seizures hmm. and, and the EMS guys were there and they had no idea what was happening. I couldn't tell them <laughs> I'm in the middle of a seizure from cutting off caffeine. We've really got to limit it. Four cups of coffee a day appear to be pretty good for us for several reasons. A cup or two of coffee or tea at breakfast, cup or two at lunch, then switch to decaf all, all you want. But proper management of caffeine, proper sleep hygiene in a dark room combined with that sleep mask. Uh, there are things that we can do now to make sure the sleep we get is quality sleep. But we can't keep working this way. If we were airline pilots, if we were truck drivers, if we were Amtrak engineers working like this, we'd be sued. We'd be mm. we'd be put in jail for sending sleep deprived people making life and death decisions. We can't keep doing this. We got to get it fixed. It, Sir Thomas has a has a question that we're going to pitch to you. He says, "What advice can you give us as to how we can normalize the conversation of the importance of first responder mental health and wellness?" Well, you know, it, 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 it's a matter of compartmentalizing. Take for example, sleep. You know, we, we're not talking about first responders. We're talking about any human being. And we talk about airline pilots and truck drivers required to log get enough sleep, but we're not. And, and, and use the research on wellness and what that's doing to us. I think it's really useful to, to take a look at the trauma that you have to face. Now, cops go toward the sound of the guns. Cops go toward the person who's trying to hurt people. But EMS and fire are around the periphery, uh, uh, the, the coroner's office. They, 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 they've got to be there at the crime scene, seeing terrible things that you can't unsee. Uh, we've got to realize how toxic these things can be. We've got to understand, go straight to the DSM. Whenever the cause of your trauma is human in nature. This is not a tornado. This is not a traffic accident. This is a, a human being who inflicted this on other people. And I've got to go and clean up the pieces and put the bodies back together and cart off the bodies and, uh, and help people understand that this interpersonal human aggression is, is the, the psychological sewer that we have to operate in. It is the most psychologically, don't, don't cop a pity party, mm -hmm. but it is the most psychologically destructive thing we could face. So what you got to do is, is not say, oh, I'm a first responder, terrible things happen. You've got to be specific and you've got the research behind you. The data on sleep deprivation and suicide is overwhelming. Just do an online search, boom. The data on sleep deprivation and traffic deaths, boom. Here's your two major killers of all of our first responders is traffic deaths and suicide. And the major dynamic, without a doubt, do a quick online search, boom, sleep deprivation. If we gave a damn about our first responders, if we gave a damn about suicide, if we gave a damn about, about traffic deaths and opiate overdoses, the first thing we would do was address this sleep issue. And yet nobody wants to talk about it. So Why do you think there's been taken so, down one by one? So, you yeah. know, in the course of history, we've had first responder communities for, for decades. Why has there been such a lack of training in the areas of resiliency, brain health and wellness? Yeah. You know, my dad was a cop in Cheyenne, Wyoming in 1962. No academy. Why had Herb didn't go to no stinking academy? It wasn't until the 1970s we began to send most cops to an academy. Now, think about that. Hmm. For 200 years, 1776 until the 1970s, for 200 years, we gave a cop a gun and a badge and cut him loose like wider. Imagine <laughs> if we still wow. did Imagine we still did that. So what I want everybody to understand is we are getting better. We are a profession that really cares when we fail, people know it. You you can't fake it in this business. You can't fake it because people die. Now, my stuff is out there being used year after year after year. If you're teaching something that doesn't work, you know, then, then people die. And we drop it like a hot rock. So this dynamic that we're not improving is a lie. But we've got to understand things are getting much, much worse. The the murder rate is being held down by medical technology, uh, and, and the, the actual dynamic is, is not 
2020 wasn't three times worse than we've ever seen. It was 20 times worse than we've ever seen. Remember, the worst we've ever seen was 12% of the 1960s. Here we are, 30% annual increase in homicides in 2020. And it's not about the pandemic. It's about the defund the police, the George Floyd riots, this sick narrative. It's not happening in other nations, not like this. And then 2021 is even worse. And, and, and so we're trying to rise to the challenge in the middle of a horrendous explosion of violence like nothing we have ever seen before. And the people responsible for giving us the news, the media, are invested in underrepresenting the situation. Newt Gingrich was on Fox recently saying the media will never tell you how bad crime really is. They're, they're invested in hiding it. And even he didn't know medical technology holding down the murder rate. It's actually much worse than it looks. The entire academic field of criminal justice, criminal science, lying to us, and we can show it in one sentence. So here we are fighting for the survival of our civilization and, and this, the, the lives of our citizens at a time when we're being attacked internally. And the, and the information of how bad it is is not getting out. So people like you, Conrad, you, you are, 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 are one of the mechanisms that we'll put in place for just such a time as this to help us get the information out, help us understand what people need and, and to tie those pieces together. So, uh, you know, in the remaining time, uh, we talked about sleep, we, we, we talked about the crime rates. What, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about what, post-traumatic stress is. So and, before and, you dive and, into that, I have a quick question from yeah. Danielle. And I think this is going to be an answer that you can, yeah. something you can answer. Yeah. says, says, what is your response to someone who can't sleep because of PTSD? Yeah. But one, one of the things we need to realize is that there are pathologies that are interwoven. Don't say you can't sleep because of PTSD. Compartmentalize it. Address the sleep part of it by itself. Because these are comorbidities. These are, these are parallel pathologies that interweave with each other. You dissect one piece of that. Don't say PTSD means I can't sleep. That's, that's not valid. And we want to talk about how we can treat PTSD, how we can work with PTSD. But getting a good night's sleep, there's so many things you can do. Like I said, you know, start with a little melatonin, a little baby dose. Get some help from the doc. Ambien is a is my little white time capsule when I go overseas. You know, I, I let's let my little seat, I take my ambient, wake up eight hours later, ha, little time capsule. The military guys, uh, my son has got nine combat tours on spec ops. I give them three ambients on the way to the combat zone, three ambients on the way back, uh, one ambient for the trip, two to get on cycle, boom, we're back where we need to be. Uh, there are other things beside ambient that can ease you into it. My doc is a uh, really been useful with uh, with uh, uh, some muscle relaxers that actually are good at putting you into sleep and not being groggy afterwards. Uh, uh, and uh, the, uh, uh, so there, there are some tools that we can use. Talk to your doc. We all need a little help sometimes. You know, the pandemic's been hard for me. I was going 100 miles an hour, staggering into my hotel room, collapsing, exhaustion and sleep and roll back out of bed. Suddenly I'm not working. And, uh, and getting sleep and getting on sleep hygiene, I need a little help here and there. So, uh, so there, there's things that we can do and talk to your doc about that. But what we think really also as well as addressing the traumas is, is you know, talking to a, a you know, mental health provider to, to address those traumas that uh, yes. may be, you know, causing nightmares and things like that, yeah. you know, to. Yeah. to and, and let's talk about that. So let's lay the foundation now for post-traumatic stress disorder. Sure. DSM, and it doesn't matter. They're all basically saying, is it the four? Is it five? Is it the three R? The DSM tells us that you have a, a life and death event and your response was intense fear, helplessness, or horror. Now, if there is no intense fear, there is no intense helplessness. If there is no intense horror, there is no PTSD. So in my classes, I tried to address what causes fear, what causes horror, what are the things we can do? But you've got a life and death event. You have a powerful physiological response with intense fear, helplessness, or horror. And here's the key. When the trauma is human in nature, usually more severe and long-lasting, but here's the key. Then you re-experience the event. 
Now, during a life and death event, the body goes into survival mode, fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system arousal. After the event, you crash. It, fight or flight, and then parasympathetic, uh, it, it's, it's called a, a, a rest and digest, also called feed and breed. The four Fs, fight or flight, feed and breed. Now, one of the normal biological responses to a traumatic event is, is reproduction. Uh, we're talking, I just did a presentation for all of the Army's uh, 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 sexual assault uh, investigators and counselors. And after a traumatic event, there is a grasping for life. Crime victims, all kinds of crime victims, go home and have very intense sex. It's a grasping for life in the face of danger. It's not necessarily a representative of, a, of, 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 of any problem. A lot of fire, EMS, cops talk about going home after a traumatic event, uh, having very powerful, embracing, intense sex. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it scares people. Understand this is there's this dynamic fight or flight, feed and breed. Now the, uh, the the problem is, a day later, two days later, a week later, you smell something, you hear something, and all of a sudden you're in that fight or flight mode again. The neurons are firing. The little puppy brain, the survival brain inside, says danger, danger, danger. It's happening again. It's happening again. This is not. PTSD. It's normal. The DSM, the Bible of Psychiatry and Psychology, says it's got to last at least a month before we call it PTSD. You can hit every one of the buttons. You can hit every one of the symptoms. And it's normal. It's only when it lasts at least a month. We say, okay, it's now become pathological. What we've got to do is separate the memory from the emotions. The breathing exercise that I teach is a tool that uh, we've used for decades. I, I got it from people before me. We use the breathing to, to regain control. Uh, it, you're, you cannot consciously control your heart rate. You cannot consciously control your blood pressure. But you can consciously control your breathing. When you reach out and grab conscious control of your breathing, your heart rate and your blood pressure will come with it. So just the breathing exercise, but I want to, in the time available here, there's something that we found out in the last decade or so, the incredible power of taking a swig of water. Now, isn't all this kind of common sense? Your mom ever say, calm down, take a deep breath? Mama say, calm down, have a drink of water. How many have to, oh, give him a swig of brandy, give him a drink of water. Here, have a glass of water. <laughs> the, the reality is that taking that big swig of water, <sighs> number one, it makes you breathe naturally. Number two, it sends a powerful message to the body that says we're safe. It pulls you from fight or flight to, to feed and breed, fight or flight to rest and digest. It says we're safe. Uh, a friend of mine is one of our nation's leading therapists for, for federal agents. Now they'll come and talk about a traumatic event with her. And when they start becoming emotionally aroused, uh, he makes him stop and breathe and regain control. Now she has the bottle of water. And every time they talk about the event and they start to re-experience it, stop, take a swig of water, regain control. She told me, she said, uh, she said, she said, 14 years of practice, six years of college, and that stupid bottle of water is doing more good anything I've ever done. <laughs> a lot of people know about SISM, critical incident stress management. I've been part of their uh, their instructors in Baltimore and their and their national international conference almost every year. We sit around, we talk about what happened, we do a debriefing, a hot wash, after action review, whatever you want to call it. But one more thing, everybody has a bottle of water in front of them. Mm -hmm. Everybody talks about what happened, and the minute anybody starts to become emotional, stop, take a swig of water, regain control, separate the memories from the emotions. Now, there's another tool being used out there. It's, it's kind of wild, and, and I don't and want to tell you guys this. You'll get a kick on it. Now, the water, I had a, I was, I did a podcast with an Australian EMS guy. What a great guy. Got a podcast in Australia, and he said, I heard about that. I heard you talk about that. He said, uh, I had a guy who was all worked up, and I said, here, drink this bottle of water. Drink it all. He drank the bottle of water. He said, 
he was fine. <laughs> it worked, you know? So uh, this, these are things that are catching on. So I, I trained a spec ops unit and the master sergeant that was my host, his wife is an emergency room psychiatrist. And she told him about something sweeping through the ER around the world. You have a crackhead or a meth head tearing up your emergency room. You know what they do? They grab a bag of M&Ms. They rip it open. They shove it in his face which would like some limitants. And a large portion of the time completely diffused the situation. Now, the spec ops guy said, yeah, you know, I'm your I'm your, your typical cynical guy. I blew it off. Yeah, sure. Touchy-feely stuff. Sure. That bag of M&Ms, right? This kind of guy carries a gun off duty, kind of guy you want to. He said, two different times, I'm, 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 I'm with my wife, uh, off duty. I think I've got to draw my gun and fight for our lives. He said, both times, my wife reaches in her purse, grabs a bag of M&Ms, rips it over, shoves the guy's face, which like some M&Ms, and completely diffused the situation. He said, that's one thing when a pretty girl does it. <laughs> it's still good to have plan B back here. But just understand that food, that swig of water, pulls you from fight or flight to rest and digest. And, and, and re-experiencing the event is not PTSD. It's normal. What we've got to do is take those times when we experience the event and separate the memory from the emotions. Now, the docs get better and better. EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprogramming, it works. Now, what's happening is you're following a visual stimulus while you talk about what happened. The midbrain, the little puppy inside here, it can only do one thing at a time. It's a very simple mechanism. So while it's following that visual stimuli, you can talk about it, you can think about it without having all that emotional baggage come with it. So the doc's got a whole bag full of tools. And there's, there's a couple of things I wanted to address about our veterans that puts things in perspective. There's a lot of myths about our veterans. Number one, a lot of us have heard 22 veterans a day take their life. The best we can tell that's accurate they want you to think it's all veterans of this war. The word veteran means anybody who served in the armed forces. In the, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, right on into the early 70s, they drafted everybody. Elvis Presley was drafted. Elvis served two years. Elvis was a veteran. If Elvis was still alive and he took his life, God forbid, Elvis would be one of those 22 veterans a day taking their life. Most of those 22 veterans a day are 80, 70, 60-year-old men. Now, every suicide's a tragedy, and suicide among the elderly is a totally different topic. But you see that this 22 veterans a day take their life, and they want you to think the war has destroyed everybody, and they're all taking their lives. And one suicide's one too many, but of those 22 veterans a day, only one or two are from the current war. So understand that. Now, you know, I've, I've got a great Gallup poll that I like to throw up there. And it's a few years old, but 24% of adult American males are veterans. When you get in those folks in their 90s, and their 80s, their 70s, the vast majority of them were veterans. So, you know, you hear 10% of the prison population veterans. Well, 24% of adult American males are veterans. This, and there are veterans who need our help in prison. There are veterans who are suicidal risks. But this idea that they're all suicidal and homicidal is a myth. But I keep running to veterans who think there's something wrong with them because there's nothing wrong with them. And 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 what so what's, veterans? What's the difference between a post-traumatic injury and post-traumatic disorder? Oh, let's save that for a minute. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna that. Let's save that because that's important. And by the way, the phrase post-traumatic injury is really a good phrase. The state of California mandates it. You know, a broken clock is right twice a day. And California got that one right. Uh, using the, calling it an injury. You can recover from an injury. You'll be stronger from the injury. Hemingway said life breaks everyone. And usually we're stronger in the broken spots. You know, so uh, that, that dynamic. But what ratio of veterans contract PTSD? And, and I, I've got a, a good thing I'd like to show up there. We got the VA website, public health. PTSD in Iraq and Afghanistan, and just to cut to the chase, 16% of the veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan have PTSD. 11% of the ones who didn't deploy have PTSD. 
about one out of 10 of the adult population, you push the right button, you get a post-traumatic response. About 5% of our veterans contract PTSD. The British studied their troops in Afghanistan, 5%. The Dutch studied their troops in it. Even when we look at the ones who are in intense combat, it never gets over 8%. I, I, I do presentations at national, international psych conferences. That's always some Brit that said, well, our troops run at 5% PTSD. Why are the Americans so much higher? They're not. Now, the ones who are claiming PTSD with disability, a totally different topic. At no time to get into that topic today. Just understand that when we go out there and diagnose post-traumatic stress disorder, we come up with about 5% of combat veterans, one out of 20. Now, we've had 3 million Americans in this war, 5% of 3 million people, a lot of people. But the idea they all have PTSD is a myth. And here's the key. We're darn good at treating PTSD. Another one that I like to throw up is a cover of Newsweek magazine, Breaking Through the Radical Therapy for Treating the Untreatable Victims of PTSD. There is no such thing. And they went online and they stealth edited that out. But the cover of Newsweek seen by millions of people talk about the untreatable victims of PTSD were darn good at treating PTSD. We have hundreds of thousands of cases we treat every year, recover fully, and are stronger from the experience. We go and I've had the privilege of meeting some of those those uh, yes. therapists and doctors who are yes. treating PTSD. Yes, and, and, and it becomes post-traumatic growth. Yes. So I, I want to give you an example on this, though. A lot of us know the story of Marcus Luttrell, lone survivor, Navy mm -hmm. SEAL. Uh, a Navy SEAL, Marcus Luttrell, his entire team is wiped out. He's captured. He's tortured. Very bad things happened to Marcus Luttrell while he was captured and tortured. Now, Marcus Luttrell has a podcast called Team Never Quit. A while back, I was on his podcast, and I got his permission to talk about him. Across all years, couldn't talk about it, and now I can. I trained his unit before and after that incident. Hmm. Now, I tell people post-traumatic stress is like being overweight. A lot of us got a few extra pounds on. We understand overweight. <laughs> post-traumatic stress disorder is obese. Is debilitating. Hmm. We, we all kind of intuitively know the difference between overweight and obese. It's debilitating. So Marcus Luttrell's doc told me he came back from that incident and he was 500 pounds PTSD. Hmm. Totally debilitating. His doc said, here we are a year later, he's 50 pounds PTSD and he wants to deploy again with his unit. And he did and it was a good thing. I told Marcus at the time, I said, look how far you've come in just the last year. Your doc tells me you were 500 pounds PTSD. Now you're 50 pounds PTSD. Look how far you've come. Have confidence you can come farther. Today, Marcus Luttrell tells us he is 100% post-traumatic stress-free and stronger for the experience. It took years. But if that man can come out the yeah. other end, completely free of post-traumatic stress disorder, anyone can, and it becomes post-traumatic growth. Hmm. And you know, it takes a lot of work. It, it's not oh. just something that you pop a pill and it's going to go away. It, it takes work. And, and from the people that I'm working with that are going through this right now, it's, it's daily work. Yes. It's something that it, yeah. it, it, it's just like someone who's been, who's in recovery from addiction. It's yeah. they're in that recovery every day and they have to work their program every day. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I've, what's what I'm learning from the many of these folks, uh, first responders that I'm working with who are dealing with post-traumatic you know, disorder. Uh, they, it's something that they are working on every single day. Yeah. And, and one of the things, I'm such a fan of therapy dogs. Hmm. And, and, and even if you can't get a therapy dog, you need to have a dog. <laughs> now, the thing to understand about dogs, dogs are a pack animal. If you have one dog and you leave him at home, it's solitary confinement. It's the worst punishment you can inflict upon them. You got two dogs and leave them home, they're fine. They're pack animals, they got a pack. So we are pack animals. We're not meant to be alone. You know, you see one guy walking in a park, you're suspicious. You see somebody walking the dog in the park, totally different story. And they feel that way about themselves at an unconscious level. 
uh, yeah, like I said, even if, you know, and, and there's a lot of good people out there getting good high quality therapy dogs and, and PTSD dogs, and it's worth it. It's a worthy endeavor, but just get a good trainer and a good dog. And, and the thing about it is that veteran is never alone. They go to the bathroom with you. Come on, you go to the bathroom with them. They go with you. It's only fair. They, they, they go to the store with you. They go to the restaurant with you. They're, you're never alone. And, and, and we are, we are, are carnivores. We, we got the, the gripping fangs of a carnivore and we're, we're pack hunters. We're hunters. And dogs are pack hunters. And so we're, we got this natural bond. He's got your six. He's got your back. You're never fully alone. Uh, and, and this dynamic of dogs as part of the healing process and, and having them with you all the time, uh, it's just so powerful. And, and, and we can go in more detail on how, you know, if you start re-experiencing the event, the dog knows it, it gets in your face, you know, and, you know, you, you can't hug a dog and be traumatized at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. you, you get in sync with them, you breathe in each other's face, you get that calming dynamic, you use the breathing. Uh, and, and so there's so many good dynamics we can use. But one of the most tragic things that's out there is somebody saying PTSD is for life. Mm -hmm. that, 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 it, that's, that's unacceptable. If you had cancer, you would turn the internet upside down to find the miracle therapy that's going to give your life back. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that's pathological, I, I just wrote a, a, a cover blurb for an amazing book on how dysfunctional the VA Veterans Administration has become with people seeking 100% disability for PTSD and then hanging on to it. No amount of money is worth a lifetime of mental illness. Mm -hmm. Get better. And if one medical provider isn't making you better, you find somebody who will. If somebody says, oh, you're going to have to live with it for life, you run from that person and find somebody who says, we can make you better. And, and you're right. It is a daily process. But I think a lot of alcoholics tell you that they're, they always have the desire for a drink. It never goes away. I, I think when we recover from post-traumatic stress disorder, we are fully recovered and stronger from the experience. So the, the, the idea of an addiction, it's useful in thinking that the work is like working with an addiction and getting past that addiction. But I think it's useful to understand that unlike an alcoholic who will spend the rest of his life having a, that craving for a drink, when you come out the other end of PTSD, not only are you done, you are stronger from the experience. Uh, hmm. You know, Nietzsche said, what doesn't kill us only makes us stronger. Nietzsche stole that from the Bible. Romans chapter five, we glory in tribulation. Uh, you know, there, there are 2,000 years for Nietzsche, the Bible's saying the same thing. The idea of the bad things in life making you stronger is not a new idea. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't ever be content with thinking that your lifetime of disability, somehow you're getting a deal with that. Uh, get better and don't be mm -hmm. satisfied until you're fully recovered. If you have loved ones who think they're trapped in a lifetime of PTSD, you, you tell them to... That, that, that get better, that they deserve to have that full, rich life, that they've earned to have that full, rich life and to get rid of this, this psychological burden. And it really is like being overweight. It really is debilitating. And, and we need to get it under control. And you really can come out the other end as a stronger human being. You know, mm -hmm. Hemingway, Nietzsche, the Bible, they all say the same thing. You know, life breaks everyone, but usually we're stronger in the broken spots. Mm -hmm. and, so and, a real quick question from yeah. Danielle as we start to wrap up here. Yeah. Uh, she said, do you still get solid sleep with medications? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, I'll talk about myself. You know, uh, uh, during the pandemic, uh, uh, I, I, uh, I, there've been times when I took Ambien, uh, uh, Xenoflex is my doctor prescribes. It's a muscle relaxer, but it puts you in a, uh, it, it really helps sleep without a lot of the, uh, an ambient is, is I, I love my ambience. I'm in the fog for the next 12 hours. I mean, yeah, I'm just in the fog. It, it's a little pill that uh, I, I, I husband them very carefully. Xenoflex, uh, on the other hand, uh, is a uh, tizanidine is, uh, it, it'll put you out for about four hours and, and you wake up refreshed. So, you know, there are different meds for different people. Work with it. We all need help. Then, like I said, nothing wrong with one drink on the way to bed. Anything more than that is counterproductive. Please don't use alcohol to put yourself to sleep. But yes, you can, and you want to strive for that. So many other things associated with sleep. And uh, 
and work with the sleep lab. One of the things that you should do is just go get wired up for the sleep lab. So many people have sleep apnea. I'm 65 years old. I'm doing good. My wife, bless her, my bride of 46 years, she has sleep apnea. And she sleeps with that CPAP every night. And it is one of the best things that ever happened to her. Hmm. Instead of snoring at night, she gets a calm, peaceful, good sleep. Go to the sleep lab. Get wired up. Sleep is so critical to our well-being. It's, a, it's just one of the, the legs of our table. You know, you could be a PT animal and food Nazi diet man and double camelback hydration man. But sleep is the fourth leg of the table. And, and you're a three-legged table. If, if your sleep isn't up there and you get that pressure on that sleep and boom, you collapse at three-legged table. So, so work on that. And, and, and it's worth working on. Go to the lab, find different techniques, try different meds. Yes, you still get a good solid night's sleep. Uh, and, and if you're having nightmares, then that means that when you get to sleep, your mind is processing the trauma. And now counseling and therapy is part of that process. And with that dog with you, you know, sleep with that dog in bed with you and that big old dog in bed and having something warm and close beside you. Uh, you know, you wake up in the night and the dog's there. Uh, it, it, it's a good thing. Uh, you know, we we have a big old chocolate lab who uh, I've never seen a dog who who the line between sleep and wake. We can hear her yelping in her sleep. We can see her running in her sleep. I've seen dogs do that, but not like this. She then she wakes up in the night with terrible and I get up and I calm her down and she does the same for me. Life goes on. So to work on it, it sleep is something worth working toward on a daily, nightly basis, trying to find a way to make it better. That right medication that, that makes it right for a little while. We want to get off the meds. Again, for me, Xanaflex has really been magic to help me through the pandemic and get me back on cycle uh, and to be able to let go of it and get good solid sleep. Melatonin, can't do any harm. Mm -hmm. If you're taking it, it's a natural neurotransmitter and the body makes less and less. We get older and older. If you take melatonin, you start having nightmares. That means you have unprocessed trauma. When you finally get to sleep, your body's starting to process that trauma. And that's where counseling can come in. The counseling can address the trauma at the same time that you get reduced nightmares. Uh, and nightmares to a large degree mean that there's un, unprocessed trauma in there. And that's where counseling comes in handy. Counseling, it can't do any harm. It can do good. Uh, you know, and counseling isn't like medication. It is something that they can't do any harm, but it could do an awful lot of good to make peace with that memory, to talk about it with another person in a safe environment, separate the memory from the emotions and, uh, and address those nightmares. What are you having nightmares about? What are they about? What does this say to you? What does this mean to you? What can we do to you? Uh, and, and some good quality psychologists, my degree is actually in counseling. Uh, I was a West Point psych professor. And, and some people can really help you work your way through those nightmares. Don't stop taking melatonin because you have nightmares. That means that you're finally getting good quality sleep and you've got unprocessed trauma. And, and now we got to make peace with those memories. We've got to process that trauma. Don't flee from sleep because sleep means nightmares. Deal with two dynamics by themselves. Deal with the sleep and deal with the nightmares, the unprocessed trauma. Separate the memory from the emotions when you're awake, and you'll be far better to separate the memory from the emotions when you're asleep. All these things tie in together. Like you said, uh, Conrad, the great work that you're doing, uh, documenting. I love the word documenting. What these healers are doing, the leaps and bounds of, of progress that we've made are so astounding. World War I, they called it shell shock. Today, we call it TBI. In World War II, they called it combat fatigue. We call that PTSD. Now we know it can be both. Mm -hmm. What an achievement. It can be TBI, and it can be PTSD, and we're darn good at working on both of them. That's mm -hmm. progress, and, wow. and, and we should take great joy in that. Well, this has been probably one of the fastest hours of my life, I think. <laughs> we're ready past 9 o'clock, and to help everybody get – Settle down and calm down. We're going to wrap up in just a minute so everybody can go to bed and get, get, some, get, 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 get a good night's sleep. In a dark room. Right. In a dark room. So one thing I want to share just personally from a practice that I started a number of years ago. So oftentimes in the evening, my wife and I will sit down and we'll watch a TV show or something right before bedtime. But what I do is I turn that TV off and oftentimes now 
I'll find a YouTube video that has calming music, yes. or calming sounds. And I, and I listen to the, have that on for the final few minutes. I'm downstairs. We don't have a TV in the bedroom. And then when I go to bed, I will take, I have a book, I have a whole stack of books beside my bed and I will read for 15, 20 minutes before I, before I turn off the light. And that has really revolutionized my sleep. It just calms me down. One other thing is put your cell phone and your laptop on night watch. Yellow light. You know, I'm a lazy guy. I put it on yellow light all the time. My cell phone's always yellow. My laptop is always yellow. It works great. I got no problem with that. They say, oh, yeah, you know, put it on night watch starting. Ah, It's always on night watch. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't need all that blue light. I'm an up guy Mm -hmm. anyway, you know, but but turn that, you know, you're getting the hours as you're getting ready to go to bed in these declining hours and the sun should be going down and the blue light from the sun should be coming less. Set your cell phone and your laptop and your television to go towards yellow light. Put it on the night watch. Uh, it's an app. They, they also have something called white noise. It's an app mm-hmm. called white noise. And it's dynamite. It can be the, mm-hmm. the sea. It can be, you know, the, the, the wind. But, but this, this white noise, noise app, like you were talking about, is a very valuable tool uh, that we can have the white noise app, put your for several hours before you go to bed, put your laptop, your cell phone, and your television in that yellow mode in the night watch mode. That's, that's, those are great examples of things that we can be doing. Uh, and, and they're simple little things that, that all add up to, to, to help. Yeah. Well, this has been really an amazing time to 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 hear from you. Uh, Colonel, it's so such a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you for for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I want to remind everybody that if you make a donation toward our our officer who who needs a a helping hand, if you give 50 bucks, you get uh, the the sheepdog book. If you give 100 bucks or more, you get the on combat book. And these are signed copies by Gully. We'll get you a signed copy. (laughs) That'd be awesome. So uh, so go ahead and there's a link in in the comments and i'll also put the link in the show notes so that everyone can access that thank you colonel for being here tonight thank you for sharing your wisdom and for uh, for what you're doing and for the for all the research you've done and all the work you've done to help uh, veterans and first responders thank you for your work thank you conrad god bless you so stick around a little bit after we sign off and we'll we'll wrap up off offline but if you Uh, For all of those of you who are watching, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for being a part of this community of of caregivers, of first responders, of people who care about their mental health and well-being. Thank you for being here. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next time on PTSD 911%. My name is Conrad Weaver. I've been your host and I'll see you next time. Be well.